Bible study, everybody. Good to see you. So, uh, welcome to our exciting time of Bible and study. And so, what we'll do is we'll open up our time in prayer, and we'll ask God's blessing on it. Let's pray, Father. Thanks for uh, just a time, place, opportunity to meet, uh, to gather together in the name of Jesus. And we thank you that as we gather in your name, you are here in our midst. And so we ask that you would lead, you would guide, you would inspire, you would reveal. I pray, God, that over the next hour or so that this would be a time where we just receive of you and receive of your Holy Spirit. He said that we wouldn't have any need of human teachers. Good thing, because your Holy Spirit teaches us. And so I pray that you teach us tonight. And I ask you, God, that we'd have open hearts, open minds, open spirit. That we'd be ready to receive all that you want to say, all that you want to do. I pray, God, that we'd be open for change in our life, a change of mind, a change of thought. That we'd be open to what you want to say. If we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 3. And as you're opening up to Deuteronomy chapter 3, I just want to make you aware of an interactive feature for Bible study through a website at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. And there you will have a button that you can toggle and you can leave us a message it will look like a voicemail. You can even erase it and start again if you'd like and review it. However you want to do it, uh, you're more than welcome to send us the perfect message. We'd love to hear from you. Or the imperfect message, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to say hi or you want to uh, maybe comment on something that has been said, you want to ask a question, you want to tell us something good that's going on in your life, we'd love to hear from you and interact with you in that fashion. Tonight we do have... A voice message, and so I do want to play that, and here we go. Hey, it's Layla. Just wanted to say I miss everybody from back home. Looking forward to the latest and greatest Bible study. So um, hope everybody's staying warm. Uh, hope to see you, hear from you soon. All right. Thank you, Layla, for uh, sending that along our way, and we say hi to you, too. Uh, Layla, for those of you who don't know, is uh, she was part of our, our fellowship here, and she felt led to head down to work with the ministry down in South Carolina, and so a number of weeks ago, she went down there and started working with them. Uh, she's also starting uh, some things on her own to get some uh, ministry, some vision moving forward. And so we are still a part of her normal listening schedule 
and uh, she stays in contact through prayers and testimonies and other listservs that we have over email, and so it's just good to hear from her. And so, Layla, thanks for contacting us, and we do look forward to hearing from you soon. Deuteronomy 3, somebody read verse 28 for us. Alright, so here we have some instruction going out to the people of Israel, and part of that instruction is that they are to appoint a new leader over them. And, and interestingly, as they're being told to appoint this new leader over them, they're also given some instruction in how they're supposed to interact with him, which I think that's the important part of what's being said here, is, well, okay, so appoint a new leader. All right, so well, the way we would do that here in uh, most local churches, not necessarily ours, but churches I've been a part of over the years, is that we review a bunch of resumes, uh, we find somebody that we like, and so they come in, they interview, oh, does this sound like a regular job? Is that what I'm sound- hearing? Yes. Yeah, and then uh, they, they uh, if we like them, then we say, okay, make them an offer. If they want to take the offer, then they'll take the offer and they'll come and they'll be the leader. Does, that does really sound like a regular job, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, it does, actually. And that's the way it was done. I was oversaw a number of transitions uh, from pastor to pastor over the years in different churches as part of my function in my role and what I used to do. And so... I had the opportunity to see that uh, process take place at just about every point in the process. At uh, some points I would assist with that, or some points I would uh, maybe recommend uh, some people or whatever during that process. And so uh, it's just, just the way it's done. Um, that's how it was done. But we don't see that here. Uh, this wasn't like a regular job. I mean, Moses had been called by God. He was at a burning bush that wasn't being consumed. And God spoke through that, and so he was commissioned, he was called, commissioned, he was anointed, and he was sent. And so he went to Egypt, and he went toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, and they duked it out with numerous miracles, one side and the other. And so finally, at the end of duking it out with miracle after miracle, Pharaoh said, okay, well, go ahead, get out of here. And so everybody packed up, and they headed out into the wilderness. And when Pharaoh tried to chase them down, Moses uh, led, led the people across the dry sea, on the Red Sea there. And as soon as the Egyptians tried to cross over it, same, you know, same place that the people of Israel did, the waters caved in on them, and they were destroyed. So then Moses oversaw the leading of Israel across the wilderness to the promised land, that was the land that was promised to Abraham and then had subsequently been, these people have been told, like, this is the land of your inheritance, this is where you're going to go. So he led them to the brink of that, sent the spies in to take a look at it, see what they needed to see. Ten of the spies came back and gave negative reports saying that if we go and do this, we're going to definitely get beat. So we shouldn't do it. Two of the spies, however, said, Let's go in immediately. We will be victorious. 
God will give us victory. Now, all those spies saw the same stuff. They saw the good stuff of the land, and they saw the big people and the giants of the land. They all saw the same thing, but the ten chose to really focus on the, the giants and the mean people, and the two really focused on what God had said was in that land, which is a land flowing with milk and honey, really focused on the blessings of the land, really focused on the provision of the land, and had it in their hearts to let the people know God will take care of the rest. So those two groups focused on two different things. You had the one group just focusing on the negative or what they perceived to be the negative. You had the other group focusing on everything that God said, all the positive stuff, all the good stuff. And so the ten won out, and the people grumbled, and they said, yeah, we can't, definitely can't do this. And so God made a proclamation over those people said, you're all going to die in the wilderness. Yeah, we won't take the land. I've got to wait for this whole generation to die out before you're going to go into the promised land. And so they wandered for 38 years, however long it was. And Moses led them through all of that. Well, Moses was part of that type of people. He was part of that generation because of a sin that he committed. And so he wasn't allowed to go in. Although God let him go up on a mountain to see it, he wasn't allowed to lead the people in. And so he wasn't going in. Nobody was going in. The only two that were going to go in that were part of that original crew, it was Joshua and Caleb. They were the only two. And so here, here we have the appointing of a new leader. Well, why did they need a new leader? Because Moses wasn't going in. His time had come and was done. And so because his time had come and was done, there needed to be a new leader. Now, how would you like to follow up Moses? I mean, seriously. I mean, he's, I mean, he's been leading. He's been administrating. He's been uh, leading the battle. He's, he's leading the victory, all this stuff. He's been doing all this stuff for, you know, 40 years. The people trusted him. The people followed him. The people, even when they grumbled, all right. They knew that he was somebody that heard from God. He was in the presence of God. Uh, most of them had seen his face glowing after he'd been in the presence of God. He'd been the guy that God gave the tablets to, the commandments to. I mean, he was that guy. Guy, you know, signs, wonders, miracles, that guy. All that. And so the next person that's going to come after him, they're following that guy. That guy. And so... In the transition, in what was coming to pass and what was gonna, had to happen, there was some instruction given on how to make it work. And I'm, I'm telling you, it wasn't like a regular job. You know, they didn't throw out a, there wasn't anything thrown out on LinkedIn, all right? And, and people didn't send their cover letters and resumes. It wasn't like that. Okay, that's not how they did it. So it wasn't like a regular job, all right? It, it was going to be something different here. It was someone of God's own choosing. It was someone that God has anointed. It was someone that God has set apart for this time. It was someone that God had called. Someone that had a witness in themselves that this is their time and this is their place and this is what God has for them. That's what it is. That's what's really going on here. And so the call goes out. And so a new leader is being appointed. 
Now, transitions are good. Transitions are awesome. You know, as part of my ministry, part of what I did and what I've done over the years is starting up new stuff. Whether it was a college ministry, I would go onto a campus and I would work on that campus and I'd meet new people and I'd meet the administration and I would argue with the administration and we would meet the student leadership, the student government, figure out how they do things, write up uh, documents in order to, foundational documents in order to be founded on the campus, argue some more with the student government, argue some more with the administration. And finally, after X amount of time, we'd be approved as a student organization. We'd put up posters. We, we would go out and we'd advertise. We'd go person to person, door to door, whatever it would take. And we'd start up a campus organization, some type of a student group on that campus. Now, over time, as that would happen, you know, other people would be raised up. Other people would have some kind of vision for it. And there would come a time where that would need to be handed off. You know, for example, it would be uh, Cornell University. That I was at Cornell University, and I was going down there for two years. And so all that stuff I just said, I figured out how to get parking, uh, I, figured, I mean, things that, you, that sound stupid, but I knew where to eat. I knew where to go to fellowship on Friday nights because that's when we did our meetings. I knew where to have meetings. I knew what evangelism looked like down there. I knew the people that I needed to talk to to get a room. I knew the people I needed to talk to to get permission on posters and who needed to stamp those and what they were looking for and where they could be hung and what buildings that was allowed in or whatever. Because I was there, and I spent the time, and I put in the effort, and I put in the time to do that, right? But there came a day when it was time to transition, that my work there was done, and somebody else was going to take that over. And the beautiful thing about that is that, you know, I'd raised up student leaders. I, I had to go out and find student leaders, had to train them. And then they were actually running the ministry by that time after a couple of years. Why? Because they're super smart. And most of them were grad students. I had like a, I had the people I had running that ministry, I had a mathematics grad student that was some kind of mathematics theory major. He was super smart. I had a guy that was a physics major, super smart. In fact, one of the guys that was there left Cornell after the last year. He had his Ph.D. from Cornell and went out to wherever they go out in California near San Jose and was making, he started off, I think the first job he ever had, he was making one hundred dollars or $170,000 a year. And this was mid-90s. Okay? So these were like super smart people. They made life so easy. I'm just telling you. And I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. I'm just saying they made life so much easier than than other other times when I've done the same thing. Right, right. Like the people we had here, for example. Yeah, this is this is a demonstration of what I was dealing with. All right. Thank you. PTSD. PTSD. Stop. I'm staying calm over here. All right. Woo. All right. No, that's not even exaggerating. So, that was a real thing. Uh, 
So anyway, so it came time to hand it over. Now, the beautiful thing about that was that I had done everything I was supposed to do. And I knew that. So it was time for somebody else to take that over. And the person who took it over not only continued to grow the group that was on the campus, but they actually took that campus group and they were able to start a local church out of it. And so there's a, new, there's a local church in Ithaca as a result of that person taking the vision that I left there and taking his vision along with it and then planting something that became something else. Not only was it a campus group, but it was also a church at that point. Now, I wouldn't have done that. But he did because he had a vision to do that. And there's other examples of those kinds of things that, that happen when transition takes place. And transition is a necessary needed part of that. So when we look at 1 Corinthians 3.6, you can read verses 6 through 11 if you'd like, but 1 Corinthians 3.6, and if you get rolling on it and you want to keep going and you're feeling it, then go ahead. You can keep going. 1 Corinthians 3.6. All right, and so there you see a process, and, and if you want to keep reading, you can, but there you see a process taking place there, that there was no animosity. There was no, uh, well, I planted, I did the hard part. He had the easy part. There's, there's none of that. It was a recognition that we play our role. There was a recognition that we take hold of what the vision is that God gave us. And in the case of Paul, he's like, yeah, well, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. Well, right. Because that was what was supposed to happen. Paul had other things to do. Paul had other places to go. He had other ministry to plant, other churches to plant, other leadership to train. He had stuff he needed to do. And so he did what he was supposed to do, and then Apollos came along. He was another teacher during the, at that time, and he watered what Paul had done. In other words, he, he, he helped continue to grow it. He kept pouring into it. He helped to pour into it, and then God was giving the increase as it went. So it became something more than what Paul had left. And so Paul went on to do whatever he went on to do. And so whatever Paulos did was a blessing to that which Paul had already done, and so he began to grow up more. So you see these transitions, not only between Joshua and Moses, but Apollos and Paul and other transitions that take place in the scriptures. All good. All good. I mean, think about the transition that took place between David and Solomon. David wasn't even allowed to build the temple. He, was, he could gather the materials for it, and he could have everything ready to go, but it was Solomon that would be the one that would build the temple. And it was necessary and needed for Solomon to take hold of that, to take hold of that vision, to take hold of that mantle, and to build that temple and do what needed to get done. And so he did. But the transition needed to happen for things to move forward. And it did. And so a new leader... Going back to Deuteronomy 3, so a new leader was being appointed. And, and he tells him something here, and I'm going to just give this away immediately. 
and in general terms, he says this is do all you can to strengthen the new and the young. That's what he said. Do all you can to strengthen them, the new person. Who's the new person? Well, Joshua's the new person. So you want to strengthen, and there's something in the Bible about this, the idea of strengthening their hands. You hear me say this, some of you hear me say this sometimes. I'll say, it's important that your hands are strong because that's how you connect with the world around you. You'll hear me say that. Well, the Bible talks a lot about strengthening our hands. You know, and you might say, okay, well, that's just a metaphor, Andy. Well, you're probably right. That they're talking about strengthening the person and strengthening their connection and strengthening their ability and, and strengthening how they go about what God's called them to do, to strengthen them in ministry or strengthen them in leadership or strengthen them in whatever it is that we're talking about. Yeah, it is somewhat of a metaphor, but what's not a metaphor is that there's studies that link, and I, I say this too, and, and I want you to understand it, there's studies that link grip strength or hand strength to longevity. In other words, people that live longer have stronger hands. Now, is there a cause and effect? No, I didn't say that. All I said was that people who live longer have stronger hands. There is a link between the two things. And so somewhere and somehow, having strong hands is important. It is. And it's important even for this. And so we're called as transitions take place. Whether we're a part of the transition, the leadership transition, or we are supporting that transition, we are called to do all we can to strengthen the person's hands. Okay, where do transitions take place a lot around here? Graduation. What? Okay, so graduations. We've had several of our youth graduate over the last number of years. College graduations, high school graduations. Where else do transitions take place around here, ministry-wise? Kinships. You see transitions taking place in kinships. And how's that happen? Well, somebody may move on to do something else. And they don't have time, or they can't do it anymore, or so they move away, or they go on the mission field, or it could be just about anything that takes place like that. And so healthy transitions are an important part of what we do. What about other ministries? You ever see transitions in other ministries? Uh, elders. elders transition, right? We didn't have any transition in the elders for a lot of years. And then... Over the last number of years, you've seen transitions take place with that. What about other places? Any other ministries that you see? Youth, transitions take place. Worship. Yeah, worship. You see some transitions taking place. Of course, Mary's still there. <laughs> now, now, most of you, some of you would know this and some of you wouldn't, but I didn't always run youth. In fact, I, I didn't have anything to do with youth for like the first years and years and years that the church started. All right, that was on Dean and Matt and other people to run youth. I didn't do that. All right, you know? And so there came a day where Matt was ready to go. He's like, I've been doing this. I'm ready to go. I'm like, all right. So then I'm up. So then I started doing youth and 
Been there ever since. Right? And there's been other people that have come along, have been raised up, and other transitions will likely take place. But, you know, you've seen transitions over the years with food pantry, or you've seen transitions with library, or you've seen transitions among the ushers, or you've seen transitions among those type of leadership positions, or I have. I have. And it's just a normal, natural part of what happens. You know, Martha didn't run the kids' ministry when we started. There was a, a woman that was here that was running the kids' ministry. And then she left, and then uh, June took over the kids' ministry. Tammy Louima had a leadership role in the kids' ministry. All right, those were the years. And then... Martha. So it's just a, it's a part of what we're doing. And so it's important we do it right. So we do all we can to strengthen the hands of the new. And, and Moses had prayed about it. I mean, he wanted to go in the promised land. But the answer was no. So what happens when you get a no answer? Something you want to do. Get all bitter about it and blame God? Sure. Sure, how far does that get you? Nowhere. Nowhere. But he found contentment in God's answer. And what was the contentment that he had? He's like, well, this is God's will for me. And did he get all bitter? And he's like, well, I'm not showing Joshua anything. That guy can figure it out himself. <laughs> no. No, he became a part of the process of strengthening Joshua's hands. He became part of that. That's what we're called to do. So Joshua was commissioned and given authority to lead. So here specifically were a few things that they were told to do. And these are the things I just want you to take note of. Very specifically. So how are we strengthen, how are we going to strengthen someone's hands? All right, I'll give you three ways here. First way is you want to help that person to be brave. And we don't use the word brave a lot, I guess, but it's, it's important. We, we'll say courageous, or we'll say to have courage, to, to live in courage, or whatever. But just let, let's just think of it in terms of being brave. <coughs> that we want to help somebody that they can be brave. Why aren't people brave? Okay, so we're afraid of something. People are afraid of something that cuts into their bravery. It just really does. And so one of the things, if we're going to help somebody to be brave, what's one of the things we're going to have to deal with then? Fears. How do you deal with fears? Well, it helps if you know what they are. It does. It really helps. It helps if you know what kind of fear a person is facing. So in other words, like, well, you can see somebody's not very courageous, not very brave, and you tell they're scared, and so you're just going to take a shot at what they're scared about? Like what? What could they be afraid of? What's a big fear? Failure. Failure. Right. I'm afraid to fail. Now, that's a generalized statement, though, because why are people afraid to fail? 
Could there be more than one reason a, a person, or could two or three different people have different reasons they're afraid to fail? Well, sure. Yeah. And uh, how about, you know, so, so you'd have to really know. You'd have to ask. You'd have to find out. And, and what might surprise you is the person you're trying to strengthen their hands, but you're seeing they're not very brave. You might ask them straight up and say, well, what are you afraid of? Oh, nothing. That's not true. Well, what is it? I don't know. Now, that could be slightly true. Because I think sometimes we don't like to identify our fears. Because we feel like if we identify our fears, we give it more power over us, when the exact opposite is true. When you begin to identify your fears, you begin to diminish the power that that fear can have over you. Because you name it and you call it for what it is. And there's something important about that. There's something important for us as individuals, but also for us if we're trying to help somebody. To really call something out for what it is. And begin to speak directly to it. Begin to pray directly to it. And say, okay, well this is a problem. This is the problem. Or one of the problems. And let's speak to that. What can you do to speak to fears? What can you, what, what's some tools that we have? Truth. Truth is an important tool because it is the fact. All right, and you can speak truth over people. Now, what kind of truth happened in the past? You follow me? What kind of truth happens in the past? What do we call that? Maybe that's a weird way to say it. Yeah, yeah. So, so you pull back and you remind, remind people of what they've done. You remind people of how God has come through. You remind people of times that they faced up to that fear and been victorious. You remind people that they have overcome this in the past and they fought it and they've won in the past. You remind them of that. Because that's the truth. And it's happened. It's done. And you can say present day truth. You can say God is able. Sure. You can say God is bigger than this. He is. Say God can deliver you from this. He can. You can quote scripture and say, okay, this is the authority by which I'm reminding you of this. This is the authority by which I am speaking this truth over you. And I'm going to speak the scriptures over you. That's truth. It really is truth. And so we're giving them through that not only a reminder, but a truth and an assurance over their lives. Because assurance is important. It is. Which is a stronger statement? You can do this or... I really hope you can do this. <laughs> hope you can get it done. Yeah. Or you can do it. You can do it. You see, words of success are important to us. And I don't mean that in a way like, oh, you should just go make stuff up. All right? If somebody comes to me and says, uh, you know, Andy, I'm really thinking about, um, I, I, I want to be a jockey, a professional jockey. I want to ride thoroughbreds, and I, I, really, I really feel like this is something I should do. And uh, so I'm really asking you, what do you think? I'd, I'd have to say, Patrick, I don't think, 
This is in your future. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think it's in your future, man. So I'm not going to make up a word of success for something that I just don't believe, okay? Something I just don't think can happen. But on the other hand, I will speak success into things that I know can happen, but maybe the person I'm speaking to doesn't believe can happen. Do you see the difference between those two things? Like, I'm willing to speak that truth to them and what I believe because maybe they don't believe it. That's okay. They just need a little help. So let's speak some words of success to one another. This happened on Saturday. We were all up in Inlet, New York, ready to climb Black Bear Mountain, and Jeannie over here, she's like, well, if I'd known we were doing this, I'd have probably suggested something else. <laughs> I'm like, why? She's like, well, I just didn't think I could do it. Well, and I said this, and I don't know if you caught this, but I said, well, I knew you could do it. And part of the reason I knew she could do it is because I have a relationship with her outside of the internship where I've had to evaluate her, uh, her, fi- her physical abilities, how strong she is, endurance-wise, breathing, a bunch of stuff, where I had a pretty good idea that she'd be able to do it. And so I knew she could. And if she'd have given up, we'd have just kept at her and pulled her along. It would have happened. But there was something, because she wouldn't have done it, because she didn't believe she could. But because we believe she could, or I believe she could, we just went out and we did it. And there was an assist from Chris over there who didn't tell her what the hike was all about. And that helped out. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, so I'm not suggesting lying about stuff because that's probably not the best way. But it, it did set the stage, though, uh, by saying, okay, well, she didn't know. And so it was an unknown. And, and what happened was is that once it became a known, anxiety, what did we just talk about? Fear rose up. And then we had to begin to speak truth, we had to begin to speak assurance, and we had to speak words of success. You can do it. You can do it. And if I might interject in a helping hand from Shannon to get me up over the boulder. So I could not have done that. I bet you could have. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you could have, but yeah, nothing wrong with a helping hand, right? Yeah, and so we need to be brave, and we need to help people, especially those that we're putting into leadership to be brave against all fear. And so the first part is we need to help help whoever that is to be brave. Second thing is that we need to give him or her hope. Hope is an important aspect of who we are as human beings. And, and to realize that we have a future and a purpose and a reason it is important. It's uh, the, the phrase that was used here, to give hope, is the same as, and I want you to, and like I say in the Old Testament, they use word pictures a lot. 
it was the idea of an execution of a trust. And uh, the only way I can describe that is uh, my mother, when she got to be a certain health, uh, faced a certain health factor risk in her life, uh, we had her assets uh, moved into a trust. And what a trust is, if you don't know what a trust is, it's just a legal document. Nothing changed. Like, there wasn't a vault that everything went into. It was all still in her house and, you know, and all that. But what happened was is that legal ownership of everything that she owned moved into what's called a trust. And it existed legally within that trust. And there was a trustee, namely me, that oversaw the trust and could pay bills out of it, could do whatever needed to be done in order to maintain the household. And so when, so all the land that she owned, uh, house, everything that she owned, car, all of that existed within the trust. So that when she passed away uh, and the trust was executed at, for the final time, everything that was in that trust then became mine. So regardless of, you know, I, I didn't have to wait on a court. I didn't have to wait on a judge. I didn't have to wait on some kind of somebody to say, oh, you know, oh, I guess we'll let you have what's yours. It just became mine because it had been set aside in this legal entity. So the execution of a trust right, is given as an example of what hope is. Why? Why? Why would that, why would that be a, a good illustration of hope? Somebody tell me. Anybody? Because well, it has value, and it's been invested into, and it's being given to you. Okay, so it, it exists. I can see it. I know what's in it. I, I understand what it is. And I understand that at some point, what's going to happen to everything that's in that trust? It's going to be mine. It's mine. And so for all intents and purposes, it's mine. Even though it's this legal entity, even though it's in this legal thing, well, who's the trustee of the trust? Me. All right? And so, so at some point, at some place in the future, at some uh, point that, that I could not determine when it was drawn up, I, everything in it was going to be mine from that day forward, from that moment forward. I just knew that. I knew that because that's what a trust is. And so we as a, a people, we, you know, we're people of vision and we're a people of God's purpose and plan. It's important to hold on to those things. It's important to hold on to the vision that God gives us. It's important to hold on to the purpose and the plan that God gives us. But not only is it important for us, it's important for us to continue to encourage one another in that. Because hope is a powerful thing. Because there's some days where things don't look so good. Well, right, but we have a trust. We have a hope. We have a future. There's a plan in place. We've got to remind ourselves of that. There's some days where it just seems like everything's going out the window and nothing's going to work right. Well, yeah, right in that moment, but there's a bigger picture to look at. There's something more important to take a hold of than any moment or any second of any day. And to maintain 
a bigger picture, to maintain a bigger understanding of where we're at and what really is ours. Now, these people, they had a land that had been set aside for them. It had been given to Abraham. And God reminded them of that and said, this is our land. They left it and they ended up in Egypt for 400 years as slaves, but it was still their land. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, still their land. You know, somebody had to be reminding of that. Somebody had to be letting them know, you got this trust here. Let's just go get it. Joshua understood that. Caleb understood that. That's why when they went in the land, they just saw everything that was there. They looked at that trust. They said, this is all ours. And they were excited about it. The, the ten spies, they looked at everything in the land. They said, yeah, well, there's these big, mean people, and it's all theirs. Wrong. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. Two guys had it right. It was theirs. And God's ready to give it to them. And they could have gotten it 40 years earlier, 38 years earlier. They could have. And they knew it. See, Joshua had that vision. Joshua had that understanding. And it's important we maintain that in our lives. Get a hold of it. Get a hold of it for you. Get a hold of it for what God has said over your life. Get a hold of it for what he said over our lives. Plenty of scripture you can just pull on and you can call on to take a hold of that for your own life. Because Joshua had been called to lead in faith, not by sight. Think about their first encounters. Jericho, huge walled city. They come across the Jordan miraculously. They end up there. They got this huge walled city. Nobody can get through that wall. What are we going to do, Joshua? Oh, I know what we're going to do. We're going to march around the city for seven days. And we're going to get around the city, march around it. Then we're going to do it again, do it again, do it. On the seventh day, we're going to march around it seven times. We're going to let out a shout. And we're going to blow the horns. And the walls are all going to fall down. That's got to be the dumbest battle plan I've ever heard. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, you think about who were who the commanders of those armies, right? You're like, Joshua, you sure on this one? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that's what we're doing. Because he wasn't called to lead by sight, okay? He was called to lead by faith. And faith was telling him, you do that crazy whatever it is, the ring around the city thing, you do that, and you follow instructions, and the walls are going to fall, and you're going to overrun the city, and you're going to take it. That's leading by faith. That's not leading by sight. He went into that land knowing that he was going to take back, and he was going to get a hold of everything that God had held for them. He knew it. The trust was waiting, and he knew that. God wanted to give them the land. And he went under that premise. How many things in your life, if you went under that premise, God has the best for me. God has good for me. God wants to bless me today. If you went under that premise every single day, how much blessing is out there? Really? You're going to have a bummer 
every now and then? Sure. You know, is everything always going to go your way? Maybe not, but I'd rather go into it believing that God has a blessing for me than always looking for the curse. All right? You look hard enough for the curse, guess what you're going to find? The curse. Now, the other side of that, you look hard enough for a blessing, guess what you might find? The blessing. Which one do you want? Seriously. Which one do you want? Yeah, I want the blessing. So I'm going to look for that. I'm going to keep that open. And that's what it is. That's how we live in faith. It's like God's got the best for me. God's looking out for me. God has all of this provision for me. He has all this stuff for me. And I'm going to live that way. I'm going to choose to live that way. And that's what he did. And he led in faith. Third thing. First thing was help him to be brave. Second thing is give him hope. Third thing is give him strength. Give him strength to care for his people. Give him strength. Give him strength to lead. To introduce them to his goodness. Because if the leader can get a hold of that vision of the trust and goodness, if this is what God has, then he needs the strength in order to care enough for the people to introduce them to that goodness and lead them right into it. I mean, God says so many stuff, so many things, excuse me, in the Bible, so much stuff in the Bible about, you know, what he assures us of or his presence or the love he has for us. So many things he just says straight out in the scriptures. He just has all those things to say. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. It gives us strength to live in it, to live in his promise and to live in his truth. It gives us strength. Well, I don't feel very strong today. Why don't you read something about strength? I don't, I don't feel very loved today. Why don't you read something about love? I don't feel very successful today. Well, why don't you read something about overcoming? Why don't you read something about God's blessing over your life and about the success he wants to lead you into? Why don't you read that? And let's begin to live in a better place because that is a better place. And so an emphatic statement is that, you know, Joshua, that guy, he's going to get it done. That's an emphatic statement. He's going to get it done. That's what's going to happen. And you know what? He got it done. And it's going to be him and not Moses. It's going to get it done. And that's the way God planned it. That's the way God ordained it. And that's the way it's going to happen. Just like it was going to be Solomon, it was going to get the temple done, and not David. Just like it was Apollos who watered, and Paul who planted See, Joshua is going to get it done.
And it would be Joshua, whose name, we went over this how many weeks ago when we talked about the spies. What's Joshua's name? What, that's another way to say Joshua's name. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, right. So Joshua's name is just Jesus. It's just Jesus. And kind of interesting, Joshua, Jesus, is the one who's going to give his people rest. Not Moses. What did Moses represent? What do they say? Moses represents what? To the, to the people of Israel. What? The law. And Moses ain't going to give them rest. All right? Jesus, Joshua is going to give them rest. Somebody look at Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 and verse 8. You can read that when you get there. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Okay. So Joshua, and this is why I'm saying Joshua Jesus. Joshua led them into the promised land. Okay. They defeated their enemies. They divided up the land. And they started farming. And they started doing whatever they are going to do. And they set up their lives in that land. But ultimately, ultimately, who does that really point to? And that's what this verse says. The ultimate rest that God has for us, it wasn't Joshua. It was Joshua. Jesus. Okay? And that's why I was drawing that. That's why I was speaking Joshua Jesus that whole time. It's because it points directly to Jesus. Somebody, uh, Ephesians 1.11, maybe? Ephesians 1.11. All right, as you read that verse, what you begin to see in that is God's plan and God's purpose for us. That his plan and his purpose for us go way back and goes way forward. And we need to find a rest and find a peace and find a faith in that plan and in that purpose that God has for us. There's a strength in that for us. If we choose to live in it. I mean, we can choose to continue to fumble our way through everything. If you really want to. If you just want to prove whatever it is people want to prove. And just fumble your way through everything. Then you will. That's up to you. If you want to prove you can do whatever you want, go ahead. If you want to prove that you're not that God's not the boss of you, okay, go ahead. Your choice. Your choice. But there's a purpose, there's a plan, and there's a will for your life. If you're willing to accept it. If you're willing 
to submit to it. If you're not, it's up to you. If you are, there's a lot of strength in that. There's a lot of hope in that. There's a lot of courage and bravery in that too. Joshua found himself in a position he was following up Moses. And he needed all of those qualities. Bravery, hope, strength. He needed all of them. We find ourselves in positions sometimes where we're unsure. We don't know what's next. Kind of scary. We need those things too. We need bravery and hope and strength. But God provides them. I'm going to take a few moments and I just want to ask you to uh, just respond to this. Because I really believe that God has some lessons for us, not only as to be able to receive of it, but to also be a part of giving it to one another. Because I, I think that the instructions that are given here are given for a reason, that we're to give one another hope, that we're to help one another be brave, and we're to give one another strength. And as I was going through this, I was making it personal because I think we got to make it real for us before we really kind of understand how to do that in other people's lives too. It's like, well, how am I brave? Well, I'm brave X, Y, and Z. Well, what do you need X, Y, and Z? And so not only is this something that we need to receive for ourselves, and I'm going to encourage you to do that first, but it's also something we need to give away to one another. As God calls us and as God sends us and as God anoints us and as God puts us in a position that maybe we're uncomfortable in or we don't know what's next. But to be this in one another's lives, to be brave and full of hope and to give one another strength, I think is important. So let's take a few minutes to pray. I'm going to ask you to just respond for yourself first. Let the Holy Spirit just speak to you when He needs to speak to you. Let Him uh, move where He needs to move in your life. Heavenly Father, I thank You that uh, You are a God who desires to strengthen us, to strengthen our hands. And I pray that we find contentment in Your purposes and Your will for our life. And so as we find contentment, I just ask you, God, that we would allow you to fill us with truth. We allow you to fill us with your assurances, your reminders. Maybe things that we've done, things that we've experienced, things that you've done in our life, things that have already happened. Truth, that assurance of you being with us truth of assurance of your presence in our life, truth of assurance of your word. And I, got, I pray God, even words of success over us. I speak words of success into our lives. And God, we might stand against fear. We might rebuke fear. That we might resist the devil and he would flee from us. Thanks, God.
God, I ask that you would pour out a hope over us. That, God, we would look and see that which you have set aside for us, that which you have given us, that which is ours, that sits in that trust. And I pray, God, we'd be a people who would live by faith. Not necessarily what we see in the moment or what we see in a second, but I pray, God, a bigger picture, a bigger faith than that, that we can live. God, I pray that we would be introduced to your goodness tonight. Yeah. Introduced to your goodness. That we'd start looking for the goodness. We'd start looking for the blessing. We'd start looking for the good stuff. And not always look for and expect the bad stuff. You've called us. You called us. You've anointed us. And we're going to get it done. So Jesus, I pray that we can enter in to the rest that you provide, the love that you provide, the peace that you provide, the supply that, God, you provide. To get it done. We give you thanks Jesus. We ask God that we continue to respond to you. And find grace and peace. We ask it in Jesus name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.